Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Okay, we're about to talk about a fairly controversial film. Hopefully that doesn't get in the way of what we're going to talk about. I'm, I am not going to get into the politics or the, uh, or the religious controversy surrounding this film. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about what Marty learned from doing this film. Um, yeah. It, you know, I, I imagine if by the time you saw what the title of this is or you even heard me refer to this in the last couple of class sessions, um, if you're listening to this, it's because you actually want to be here. That's what I'm assuming. Um, so hopefully we don't have any problems. Um, okay, so The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, this is a movie that comes at a point where Marty is trying to get back to saying something personal. He's just coming off The Color of Money, which is a, uh, as we mentioned last time, it's a commercial film. It's a movie designed to make money for the studios. As much as he tried to remain true to himself, it it still wasn't a personal expression. And as we've mentioned, the studios aren't really of a mindset (laughs) at this point for personal expressions. So this is a tough sell. But remember, Marty's a Roman Catholic. And so, you know, he's touched on those issues in movies like Who's That Knocking at My Door and Mean Streets, etc. And is trying to grapple with his own faith and what he thinks about Jesus Christ and 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 all those sorts of and 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 his religion that he was raised with. So, The Last Temptation of Christ is based on a book that looks at the duality of the Christian tradition that understands Jesus as both fully human and fully divine. And in this interpretation, it focuses mostly on the fully human aspect. And that's where this movie gets in trouble by a lot of people is because it, um, there's a lot of people that call it heresy because of that, because, um, well, like I said, I'm not going to get into that. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of stories you can read about what happened when this movie was released. Um, but the, the history of this film is troubled in and of itself. Um, and I think we need to understand that to understand how he made the film the way he did. So going all the way back to Boxcar Bertha, Barbara Hershey gives him this book, The Last Temptation of Christ, and says, if you ever make this movie... I want to play Mary Magdalene. Okay. Now, Marty <laughs> Marty wasn't a great reader at that time. He didn't read a lot or hardly at all. So he slowly picks through this book. Um, and by the late 70s, remember, Barkscar Bertha comes out in 72. So by 77, he's ready to take on the project. And he gives the book to Paul Schrader um, to adapt it. And by 1983, they've got a script Marty wants to shoot. So we've already gone from 72, five years later, to giving it to Paul Schrader. Six years after that, they've got a script. So it's been 11 years so far. Nothing. They haven't even pre-produced a shot yet. So he takes it to Paramount. And Paramount decides they're going to finance it. So Scorsese he starts casting. And in a literal search for Christ... <laughs> Uh, he's looking at actors who 
in the past who had famously portrayed Jesus, people like Jeffrey Hunter, Franco Nero, Max von Sydow, and decides after looking at a number of actors that he's going to cast Christopher Walken. And the studio doesn't like that choice. <laughs> they say, ah, try again. So he goes back to the drawing board, and he casts an unknown who was starring in a film at the time called Reckless, a man by the name of Aiden, Aiden Quinn. And he follows through with Barbara Hershey. He gives her the role of Mary Magdalene and brings in the rest of the cast, which is basically what you see in the film now. He brings in Harvey Keitel, Victor Argo, Harry Dean Stanton, etc. And then things start to fall apart. So Henry Winkler, not Henry. Which Winkler is this? Not Henry Winkler. Irving Winkler. Irwin Winkler. So Irwin Winkler, who had produced both Raging Bull and New York, New York, is on board for this project. The problem is he's also producing a movie called All the Right Stuff, which is this massive epic about the space program, basically. And that project has gotten so big that he's so absorbed in that he can't do anything with Marty's Last Temptation. And then the other problem is the studio's starting to realize that there's some issues going on. There's the conservative Christian group called The Moral Majority, who was starting to have a pretty heavy hand in politics by the 80s. We're not going to get into that. But these conservative Christians and other large religious groups are sending tons of letters to Paramount about why this film needs to not be made. And it's not, it's not just that they're upset about this adaptation of this book that they don't like. They're also really upset that Martin Scorsese's directing. Remember, at this point, he's done... Movies like Mean Streets, <laughs> movies like Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, really violent films. Movies that a lot of conservative Christians, I'm sure at the time, were not happy about already. So they're really upset that this book that they don't like is about to be adapted by a director that they don't like. It would sort of be like if, if Quentin Tarantino took on a project that had been deemed heretical by the by the church. That's kind of what this would be like. So Paramount Paramount holds a theological summit to find out what the issues are because they have no clue. And while this discussion is somewhat encouraging, um, there's others who are continuing to look at this ridiculous stream of mail that's constantly coming into the offices. Scorsese continues to defend his portrayal of Christ, um, but another executive steps in and said... As a runaway project, a project that's not going to be shot in the area, it's going to be in a foreign country, he he just can't back it. And when that got traction with the other executives, Marty offered to do it for free and on a schedule one month shorter than he had originally uh, proposed. But by that time, it was done. Paramount shut the project down. Now, Marty has the rights to the book, so he can keep moving forward with it. And he kind of takes a step back from it and says, okay, what if we do it in the tradition of uh, Italian filmmaker Pier Pasolini, Pier Paolo Pasolini and his independent film, The Gospel According to St. Matthew? So they settle on a, on a whole new plan. It's going to just be a 45-day shoot, just a month and a half and $6 million. And, and as they're pitching it around, though, United Artists, who owned a ton of theaters at the time, said, we're not going to carry this movie in our theaters. Because it's not that they had a problem with the movie itself. 
they were afraid that somebody was going to cause a problem at their theaters. That was their issue. And so once a large section of the distribution is gone, Marty walks away again. And he goes and makes a film called After Hours and The Color of Money. But his agent, Michael Ovitz, who we mentioned in The Color of Money, very, very powerful agent at the time, um, is still working on it, still trying to figure out how they can do this. And he's, he's exploring every avenue. There was a possibility of a co-production with the Minister of Culture in France, but that got shut down because the Archbishop of Paris challenged the president on using public money to undermine the scriptures, as he put it. Um, and in the meantime, the Israeli locations that they had go out the window, and, the, and there's attempts to do it it's in Egypt and Russia, and those fall through. And then, worse comes to worse, the option on the novel, the rights that they had to the novel, had expired. So everyone who went in on those in the first place all pool their money together and have to get the rights again. So now they've sunk money into getting the rights for this novel twice and still have nothing to show for it. Oh, excuse me, I misspoke. So Marty's agent at the time was not Michael Ovitz. It wasn't until Marty got Michael Ovitz as an agent that this became doable again. And at this point, Universal Studios is interested. So the shooting finally... After a 15-year journey from the minute Barbara Hershey gives him the book and a four-year journey from the minute Schrader turns in the script that they like, in 1987, in Tunisia and Morocco, they're finally shooting. The problem is, because this was considered a risk by the studios, Marty has to compromise. He had to do it cheap, and he had to do it fast. Because as we've talked about, the issue wasn't just that the material was explosive. The issue was that studios weren't backing personal projects anymore. In fact, Marty describes a scene where he and Brian De Palma, who was just coming off of Scarface, are both sitting together, and they hit the same problem at the same time. Marty's trying to get this movie made, and, and uh, De Palma had just walked away from a bad screening of Scarface. And they both realize that the studios don't, don't want to make the movies that they want to make. So they have to figure out new ways to do this. They have to figure out ways to make the project less of a risk for the studios. Now, one of the other things Marty had done was he, he did a movie called After Hours, which is a movie we, did, we didn't talk about. Um, I still haven't seen it yet, but I'm really interested to see it. Um, and it was kind of Marty's way into getting into low-budget filmmaking again, low-budget studio filmmaking specifically. And this idea of working with very little money and working fast. And he hired a, a director of photography by the name of Michael Ballhouse, who had a reputation uh, who had a reputation for being a very fast working DP. And he brought Ballhouse in for The Last Temptation of Christ because he knew he was going to need him. And Ballhouse was very helpful in that project because not only was he good at getting what they needed to get, but he was good at keeping keeping Marty going. Every time they ran up against a problem and they didn't have time or the money to do it the way they wanted to do it to fix that problem, Ballhouse would just look at Marty and say, that's the way it's got to be. You know, this is how this picture is going to get made. So Marty goes into the desert of Tunisian Morocco with almost no money, almost no time, and almost no gear. And when you do that, that means you have to prepare everything. Marty said he had to practically visualize the entire movie in his head 
because it was done so fast and so cheap. And he says there's scenes that you can practically match the storyboards with the finished product cut for cut, shot for shot. And it was through that pre-visualization that he had that Marty would kind of sit down and think about the movie like this. He'd, he'd figure out, okay, what shots do I need? What are the most important shots that this scene has to have in order to hang together? And then how do I prioritize the coverage around that? And he'd sit down and he'd think, okay, so this shot needs to be done in this amount of time. You know, once we're set up and we're rolling, we have the actors in, it needs to be done in 25 minutes or a half hour or whatever. And if you can't get it in that amount of time, then you need to decide whether or not to cut that shot especially if you're further down the priorities list, right? And that's the way Marty worked, constantly compromising, which is something that he wasn't used to. He wasn't used to being able to visualize a movie and not like really work through it and kind of get exactly what he wanted on film. He, he was constantly figuring out, what do I have? What do I need? How much time do I have? How much money do I have? Do I just need to cut my losses and move on? Now, the other thing that he did was he used the existing production value in the area. See, previously, he had Boris Levin, who was the legendary uh, production designer that he had used on New York, New York, to come in and build these amazing sets. And they were already working toward that when Paramount shut down the movie the first time. But they didn't have the kind of money for that this time. So they would just use what was there. If there's old ruins or a hundred-year-old building or whatever, it looks ancient. And it fits the audience's conception of what ancient world must look like because this is the only thing we have to go off of. So just use that. This is a, uh, there's a walled city over there. We'll shoot that. Oh, here's, a, here's an old mud hut. We'll use that. Or here's this, here's that. Yeah, cool, perfect. And the other big compromise that he had to make is they didn't have a crane. Marty had gotten used to using these big cranes, and they didn't have that. They just had this small, like, seven-foot jib. Well, you're pretty limited in terms of upward mobility then, you know. And, and so it's just constantly, what do I want? What can I get? What do I need? Let's get that. But it also forced him to be inventive, and I, I find this is pretty typical with creative people. If you're any good at problem-solving... The fewer opportunities you have, the fewer options there are, the more creative you have to get. So because it's a small budget film, they don't have a lot of money to put into effect. So they do them very simply. And they're very, I don't want to say elegant, but in a way they are. Um, and they, they almost add a sense of realism because they're not crazy big effects. They're all practical effects that are just done very simply that, that, that are still effective. So, like, for example, there's this scene where all these Romans come in and surround the Jewish temple. And they only had five guys there to be the Romans for the day. So what do you do? You cut. You have one shot over here, five Romans come in. You cut to another shot, five more Romans come in. You whip pan to another shot, five Romans come in. Whip pan over there, five more Romans come in, you know. And it feels like you're surrounded, but it's the same five guys repeatedly. You know, just whip panning from pans from from pre-planned setup to pre-planned setup, and achieving the same effect as if you had a hundred guys come in. Now, the other thing that they did was the thing from the title, "The Last Temptation of Christ." He describes as almost he calls it a hallucination, and so 
he he very simply used some things in it that are dreamlike or hallucinatory, like compressing time. You know, you just cut and we're in a different place, or cut and and Jesus is old or whatever. You know, which which I don't know about you, but I've had dreams like that where you're in a place and then all of a sudden you're somewhere else, but you don't notice it because you're dreaming. Um, you know, and they do these lighting gags and these other things to add a, a, a little bit of an element of surrealism to it, but not a lot, just enough to get there. Some of the production design, especially later in it, is it has this surrealist quality to it, but it's still subtle because dreams feel real at the time, right? But the biggest thing that Marty had to do was just surrender to the reality. There were no dailies, so he's practically making the film blind. And he just had to be okay with that. He had to be okay with the fact that by the that he had to trust Michael Ballhouse, who's operating the camera, and he had to trust Thelma Schoonmaker on the other side, calling her long distance from Morocco to New York or wherever she was, saying, how does it look? How about this shot? How about this shot? You know, is this in it? You know, and just trusting that whatever they got was what they got. And the other thing was the movie runs long because they ran out of time in the edit. They ran out of time to really sit down and figure out what what can we lose, what do we have to keep, what can we trim, what what needs to stay the same, because they just ran out of time in the edit room. So it's like a two-hour, 45-minute movie when it could have ran two-and-a-half, maybe even 220, maybe two hours, but that would have been quite a lot. But they didn't have time to figure that out, you know, and Marty just went with it. Hey, you know, the movie's cut now. We ran out of time. Ta-da, this is what you get. Marty says this about the film. This is a direct quote from great book called Conversations with Scorsese. He says, I love the idea. I'm not saying I did justice to that idea on film. Sometimes I'd say, oh, I wish I had three extra days, or I wish I had two million dollars more. But we had to keep it small scale. That was the compromise to getting the movie done at all. If he had pushed for more days and more money, he would have never made the movie. And I think a lot of us who are especially early on in our careers can learn something from that because a lot of us we don't have the resources we need to pull off what we really want to do so you have to figure out where you can compromise you have to figure out what what do I absolutely need in this movie what can I lose what can we try and if it doesn't work we just need to move on those are the kinds of things that that we have to deal with consistently if if we're just doing a film for project for for fun for little to no money whatever it is you have to you have to not get married to the movie in your head because you're going to have to compromise along the way now the flip side of that is figuring out how to not compromise too much and how to keep the artistic integrity of it intact while still compromising along the way so that's really what Marty learned to do. He learned to compromise on this film because he had to if he was ever going to express himself like he wanted to in this film. So um, that's all we've got for this class session. Next up is Goodfellas, Cape Fear, and Age of Innocence. Uh, like I said, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next class session of Goodfellas. I've been Taylor Bickle, and this is Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Thanks again.